Welcome back to Plastic Surgery Decoded, the podcast where we demystify plastic surgery and provide a foundation for understanding it, whether you're actually considering a procedure or you're just curious. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Regina Newhan, and in this season number four, you'll find a new approach, including interviews and covering a wide variety of subjects. But after you listen to this episode, I encourage you to go back and really explore the previous seasons as they are full of valuable information. You get to pick and choose what to learn about next. Season one covers common aesthetic or cosmetic surgery topics and skincare, while season two explains reconstructive surgery topics. Then season three goes over general questions about plastic surgery. Remember that this podcast reflects my experience and opinion, as well as those of any guest interviewed. It is not intended to provide medical advice, nor is it a substitute for a formal consultation with your physician. So stay tuned for this interesting journey we'll take together in the ever-expanding world of plastic surgery. Let's go. The thought of a surgical drain may sound odd. A tube coming out of the body, having been placed at the time of surgery, to collect and remove unwanted fluid that may build up during the healing phase. Helpful, yes, but while providing assistance overall, it can also be an annoyance, or even in some cases, create serious problems. So if there are ways to avoid the need for drains, wouldn't that be ideal? But how to accomplish that? In this episode, plastic surgeon Dr. Kalila Steen sheds light on this topic and explains both the problems and solutions in a very understandable way. Let's join that conversation now. Well, I'm pleased today to introduce Dr. Kalila Steen, who is a plastic surgeon in private practice in the Kansas City region with Monarch Plastic Surgery. Welcome, Dr. Steen. Thank you for having me. Great to see you today. And we've got a fun topic to talk about. We're talking about whether or not you really have to have a drain with your surgery. And that may be something that is a little confusing to some of the listeners. And you think about, well, what do you mean by a drain? And what would you use a drain for? But that's what we're here to talk about. Uh, But first, I want to start and ask you, what was your path to plastic surgery? How did you get to where you are today? I became interested in plastic surgery because it is able to really profoundly improve quality of life for patients in particular. Many other types of surgical specialties help patients by removing things such as cancer, which is really incredible, but the morbidity associated with this can sometimes decrease quality of life. However, plastic surgeons are often able to add and to restore and to give back to patients in order to help them with their quality of life, and it's very rewarding to be able to help out in that way. So helping out by reconstructing after a cancer surgery you mentioned, or doing something to restore or change the shape, uh, I think you're probably getting at. And exactly. That can be, you're right, that could just be profoundly wonderful for patients, um, especially when things have been discouraging for them or devastating for them. So mm-hmm. good for you for having that aspiration to want to contribute to your patients' lives. I think that's pretty wonderful. Oh, thank you. I think that's something that really joins a lot of plastic surgery together, I think. Yeah, yeah, we have that communal uh, goal to help people, so I think that's pretty cool. And plus, you know, we uh, many of us have kind of an artistic background or interest and really enjoy creativity and This is a field that really allows for both of those things, so it is pretty wonderful. And so where were you from? Where did you train? I am uh, originally from Canada, and I grew up in the United States, and so I did sort of both of my uh, bits of education in the United States and in Canada. 
I did my undergraduate degree over at Penn State, and then I went to Canada to do my medical school, actually at the same place that my father went to medical school, at Queen's University. Wow. And I completed my residency over at the University of Toronto. Great place. Mm-hmm. Good deal. Well, tell us about the current scope or nature of your practice. Uh, what types of cases do you do? Are you doing both aesthetic and reconstructive cases? or? Yes, I do both aesthetic and reconstructive cases in my practice. The majority of my cases are currently aesthetic, such as abdominoplasties and various breast surgeries, brachioplasties or arm surgeries, even labiaplasties, and different rejuvenating procedures to the face as well. Oh, great. That's a nice mix of things. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, as we embark on our topic today, to give a little background, let's first talk about what happens when a person undergoes, say, a larger surgery where there has to be a lot of what we call undermining or separation of the tissues in order to rearrange or reposition them to accomplish the surgical goal. So basically meaning a large area operated on or a large incision. So in that kind of situation, what does the body do after this? How does it heal itself? Mm -hmm. So the undermining creates an empty space that we call dead space. Mm -hmm. The body responds to the undermining by producing serous fluid that fills up that empty dead space. For small areas of dead space, the body is able to slowly absorb that fluid and it goes away by itself. However, in larger procedures with lots of dead space, the body may not be able to absorb that extra fluid and could need help to cope with that. Yeah. And when you say serous fluid, that's spelled... S-E-R-O-U-S, and it's just a, a reference um, to the word serum, which I think a lot of people will understand uh, the meaning of. And you're right. You know, sometimes with these larger surgeries, we have created so much dead space that the body just gets overwhelmed. And so if the body produces that much fluid, it can sometimes form something called a seroma. Could you explain what a seroma is? Mm-hmm. A seroma is just a fluid collection, and that fluid is made up of normal body substances like plasma and lymphatic fluid. And a seroma occurs when the dead space can't cope with the extra fluid from the surgery. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. It's kind of the tipping point, and it gets overwhelmed, and you know, there's just going to be some leftover beyond what it can handle. Now, before we talk about how to treat that seroma, what problems could a seroma cause? So this fluid collection is sitting there. What kind of trouble could that create? Mm-hmm. It can cause a variety of problems. Uh, seroma can cause problems such as wound dehiscence and even skin necrosis if there's enough pressure. In addition, the fluid itself acts as a nidus for wound infection or possible abscess formation even. Uh, sometimes a capsule or a wall can form around the fluid and that can oftentimes require reoperation in order to remove that. In addition, it's an area of swelling that can di- distort the final cosmetic appearance to the area as well. Mm-hmm. And just be uncomfortable because of the pressure too sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned a capsule. What kind of problems would a capsule create? Does mm-hmm. it make it harder for that fluid to eventually resorb? Um, does it create other problems? That's exactly right. That wall is something then that just won't go away. And so it's a space then that can continuously be refilled by the fluid. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so the body then really can't cope with uh, getting rid of that wall by itself. Uh, And so that really does need an operation to help get rid of that wall, kind of like a cyst, if you can think about it like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good way to think about it. 
So now could you explain for the listeners what we mean when we talk about placing a drain during surgery and what the typical purpose is? Uh, what does it look like and how does it work? Mm-hmm. A drain is a tube uh, and one end of that tube goes inside of the body at the area of the dead space that was created during that surgery. Uh, and the other end of it is a little bulb that comes out outside of the body. So a hole is poked through the skin and the drain tube then drains into that little bulb and that can collect the fluid for you. The drain is meant to whisk away fluid from the dead space and into that bulb to reduce the amount of fluid in that dead space in order to promote healing. And often the drain has some suction on it and so as that drain is evacuating that fluid or pulling that fluid away, it allows the tissues to kind of stick together and not be separated by fluid anymore. And if they can kind of stick together, they can kind of heal together. Exactly. And so that's such a great function of the drain, uh, really facilitating the healing and, and improving the contour of an area so everything sticks down nicely where we want it to be. Exactly. That's exactly right. How many drains might be placed for one surgery? Well, it depends on the type of the procedure that's being performed. Typically, one to two drains are placed for various procedures. Okay, but if you have a big surgery, then there could even be more than that, huh? Yes, exactly. And how long does a drain typically stay in? It depends on the procedure. For longer procedures, it wouldn't be uncommon for a drain to be in place for two weeks or even more. Sometimes mm -hmm. drains stay in for even a month. Mm-hmm. And how do you know it's time for it to come out? How do you make that judgment of how long to keep it in? There are many different parameters that surgeons use to determine how long a drain should stay in for. Uh, when I use drains, for example, I ask the patients to track the amount of fluid that accumulates each day, and the drain can be removed when straining a very small amount of fluid each day. Ah, so once it tapers down to a small amount, then you know it's safe to remove it. And what is the risk if you take it out too soon, and what is the risk if you wait too long to take it out? Mm -hmm. Well, if you take it out too soon, then the drain doesn't have the opportunity to remove that fluid like we wanted it to, and so you stand the risk, again, of having that seroma that we were trying to avoid. Mm -hmm. But, on the other hand, if it stays in too long, the drain itself is a type of foreign body that goes from inside your body to the outside world, and as a result, it's possible for the drain itself to become infected. Mm, yes, that's a problem that you don't anticipate and you don't want to have. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. um, so when it's time to take a drain out, how is it actually removed? Where is this done and, and how is it done? Mm -hmm. So this, is, uh, this takes place in a simple clinic setting. It's done all the time. And uh, the drain is often secured to the skin actually with a stitch. And so the stitch is first clipped and then the drain is pulled out in clinic through the hole in the skin. And as you can imagine, this is oftentimes a bit unpleasant for patients. Yeah. Do you have to sometimes numb people up or just remove it without numbing medicine? It's pretty standard to remove it without numbing medicine. Yeah. It's just kind of a quick little, ouch, okay, it's done. Mm -hmm. All right. And what types of surgeries have drains typically been used for? Mm -hmm. Can you think of some examples that the listeners would understand? Sure. Well, drains are typically used for surgeries that create lots of dead space or that undermining. And so some examples would be, certainly it's common uh, for them to be used in abdominoplasties or tummy tucks. In addition, it's common uh, while undergoing breast reconstruction to have drains. And some surgeons also use them for other procedures as well, like breast reductions, brachioplasties or arm lifts, and facelifts as well. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, those are all areas of the body where a fair amount of dissection or undermining, as we're calling it, occurs. And so there's a risk of a lot of fluid developing afterwards. Uh, so that makes sense. Well, the drains themselves, how problematic are they sometimes for patients? Mm-hmm. Patients very commonly complain about drains and express a great amount of relief once they are actually done with the drains, once they've been <laughs> yeah. removed. Drains really do tug and pull and cause discomfort for patients, which not only causes pain, but also discourages patients from getting up and about to walk around. Lying in bed and not walking can certainly increase the risk of clots to the legs and lungs, which we certainly don't want. Uh, in addition, the drains have to be emptied and measured regularly, which is a hassle and can be messy. Some patients have a hard time coping psychologically with having drain tubes coming out of their body and dealing with that fluid. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the drain sites can become infected or leak or have delayed wound healing at the drain site. Uh, the drains can be sometimes difficult for patients to hide underneath their clothes as well. So there's sort yeah. of a host of problems that come along with having these drains. Yeah, those are those are excellent points. And in particular... Uh, the limitation of getting people up and moving, that's, that's a really good point where some serious problems could be created based mm -hmm. on that. So the drain is a, a helpful tool, but along with it come these other issues that you do have to typically deal with. Well, given that, I do know that for some of your surgeries, especially for bigger ones, you've switched to a technique that can reduce or eliminate the need for a drain after surgery. Could you elaborate on that and tell us what you're doing differently now? Sure. Uh, well, there are many methods that are used to help decrease the risk of seroma in general. I use a mix of these that have been well described by smarter surgeons than myself in the past. In particular, I use the technique described by Dr. Jamil Ahmed and Dr. Frank Lista that was uh, published in the Aesthetic Surgery Journal back in 2017, I believe. I had the honor of training under them in my residency, and so they were able to show me that in person as well. Nice. I use a drainless abdominoplasty technique that is accomplished through barbed progressive tension sutures. And so basically what this is, is that it uses a bunch of little sutures to close down that dead space and quilt down that space so that way there's less area to deal with altogether. So these are internal sutures. Exactly. You wouldn't yeah. see them through the skin. No, you do not see them through the skin. And so that turns a large area of dead space into a small area that no longer needs that drain. And so in addition to that, I also try to prevent seroma formation in the first place by decreasing some of the risk factors for seroma. For example, I reduce the amount of dead space by limiting the amount of undermining of the abdominal flap in general. Mm -hmm. In addition, I try to leave a layer of fat, it's called subscarpal fat, just a little bit of extra fat on top of the belly when undermining, so that way the body can heal sort of a fat-to-fat -fat layer instead of a less natural fat-to-fascia layer. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think that this technique uh, has been really phenomenal with a lot of benefits. The literature shows that drainless techniques can lower the risk of seroma compared to drains for tummy tucks. In addition, because patients are more comfortable getting up and about after surgery, in theory, this could decrease that risk of the clots to the legs and the lungs that we were talking about. Sure. And finally, uh, the progressive tension sutures in a drainless tummy tuck can help to remove tension from the scar line. And this can help prevent scar widening and scar migration as well. Yeah, let's talk about this a little bit. You know, what you're saying is that if there is 
too much tension or too much tightness or pulling on a scar where the, the incision has been closed, that can kind of widen the scar or stretch it out. So by doing your, I'm going to call it internal quilting sutures, to tack things down, you can also pull that tissue toward where you want it to go in a more gradual, sequential nature rather than having all that pull and tension be right at the skin edge where the scar is going to be. So you're right, you can really uh, reduce some of the tendency for a scar to become problematic based on what we call tension. Mm -hmm. So that's wonderful. It's a technique that's been working very nicely, I believe. Yeah, that's great. Now, is this technique always successful in avoiding a seroma? Have you occasionally had to remove some fluid that built up anyway, uh, whether in the office or placing a drain later down the road? Mm -hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, no technique will ever be 100% effective, although we'll always search for that. The commonly quoted risk for seroma formation uh, using drains and tummy tucks is quoted to be about 10%. The literature shows that using this technique that I described, uh, this has a rate of seroma formation for a drainless tummy tuck at 4%. In my practice, for example, I've experienced only a 3% rate of seroma. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is most commonly treated by simply removing fluid in the office until it resolves. So through this technique, uh, in the published literature and in your own findings, you've reduced the amount of uh, seromas that have formed by over 50%. I mean, that's pretty amazing. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We've been very happy with the results. Absolutely. If you do have to remove some fluid in the office, let's say after a drain is out or you didn't use a drain, how do you do that? What happens in the office? What does the patient go through? Mm-hmm. So uh, commonly what we do is something called an aspiration. And so what that means is that we use a, a small needle that I, we place underneath the skin and then use a syringe to remove that extra fluid. And you numb them up before that, right? Yes, I was just about <laughs> to say. <laughs> I was just about to say not only are patients uh, numbed up for, the, uh, for that small procedure, it's often a numb area anyway uh, yeah. because those little nerves need a little bit of time to regrow uh, before you get sensation anyhow. So Absolutely. typically that's a painless experience for patients. Yeah, that's nice. Are there other ways to avoid a drain beyond the progressive suture technique that you've been talking about? Is there anything else out there that's an option? Mm -hmm. uh, one thing is uh, tissue glue, for instance. Oh. I don't use that in my practice. I don't have a lot of experience with that. Mm -hmm. But I know that that's also been used in some other procedures as well, such as facelifts, and some people use them as well for tummy tucks. Could you explain what tissue glue is? It's uh, made out of fibrin, which is kind of, uh, well, a glue is a good way of uh, describing it, yeah. really. And it helps the, uh, those tissues stick down together. So instead of stitches, it helps the body stick down together using that yeah. type of body glue. Yeah, because it's using some natural elements that we might find elsewhere in our body, but concentrated in such a way. And the effect of those elements is to make things sticky. And so it can really help the tissues that are pushed together to stay together. And if they stay together, then theoretically, we can't build up as much fluid in between there. So that's typically how that works. And so, yeah, I think some people do use tissue glue for certain procedures and other people, you know, as you say, uh, choose not to. And uh, who knows, someday there'll be a great substance uh, that doesn't have any problems associated with, but uh, 
we're, we're not quite there yet. Well, you know, I did want to know if you can recall any interesting patient stories that might illustrate how important this service of trying to avoid a drain by using different techniques can be to your patients. Mm-hmm. Is there anybody who comes to mind? Mm-hmm. Actually, I have, I have lots of patients just like this. I mean, ah. I quite commonly have patients coming specifically to my practice because they've heard about the drainless tummy tucks. Yay. They've had a ne- yeah, it's, it's very nice. And they've had negative experience, though, in the past with drains for other procedures, or they're afraid about having a tube coming out of their body. Yeah. And so every week I see patients with concerns just like this. And so it's a, definitely something that's top of mind for patients. And so I'm glad this is something we're able to offer them. Ah, that's that's a wonderful option for people, and I'm glad the word is getting out that you're providing this service because I think it is a nice relief to some people to know that it's available. And of course, it's not perfect for everyone, and I know that you are very careful about um, selecting when you use certain techniques, but to know that this is part of your armamentarium, I think, is probably very comforting to those patients, so kudos to you. Thank you. Well, I'm curious you know, whether it's something we have available to us now or it's not even developed yet, what do you think might be coming down the pike in terms of uh, future options to try to help us eliminate the need for drains altogether? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure it's possible to eliminate drains altogether in the future, especially for cases that have devices in place, such as tissue expanders for breast Mm -hmm. reconstruction. Although I do know that Sientra has recently released a really cool dual port type of tissue expander where you can place fluid to uh, fill that sort of water balloon for the tissue expander and then a second port to remove any of the seroma fluid. Yeah. Yeah. So what you're talking about with that device is kind of like a closed circuit. So you can fill up the space to expand the tissue as you want for breast reconstruction, but you can also use the same device through a different channel, if you will, to pull away any fluid that the body is building up around it. So I think that's pretty wonderful. Yeah, it's very clever. And so that has the potential perhaps to be drainless, but I think that ultimately more adoption of some of the techniques we already have at our disposal in general would help more patients to have more access to drainless procedures. Yeah. Well, great. Um, You've been so informative today, and you have such a great uh, explanation style, so good for you. Thank you. Any final thoughts about our subject today that you'd like the listeners to know, whether it's about this subject or just plastic surgery in general, that you would like to share? Sure. Yes, I think it's a huge benefit for patients to have a safe alternative to the traditional drains by having a drainless tummy tuck. Drainless tummy tucks eliminate the discomfort associated with the drains, which allows patients to be more mobile and, in theory, decrease that risk of blood clots we were talking about. And it's also just as effective or possibly even more effective at reducing those seroma rates, all while improving the aesthetic outcome by preventing scar widening and migration. And so I think that drainless tummy tucks safely improve the post-operative experience and are definitely something worth considering when patients are thinking about getting an abdominoplasty. Well, that's wonderful, and words to think about for sure. Well, thank you for sharing your time with us today. It's just been a delight chatting with you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Regina. You bet. Well, that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something, too. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. 
please share this podcast with someone else who might be interested. And while you're at it, check out the podcast website for related topics to explore. It's www.plasticsurgerydecoded.com. And as always, thank you for listening to Plastic Surgery Decoded.